you know, by the way, if this is your first time with us, we are so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And one of the things that we want you to know about us is that most Sunday mornings, if you attend here on a regular basis, you'll find that we're studying our way through whole books of the Bible, and we're currently studying our way through the Gospel of John, uh, a, a gospel, a book written by one of Jesus' uh, closest friends, a biography of Jesus. And at the very end of of the book, John tells us in no uncertain terms why he wrote what he wrote. He tells us that he is writing so that we come to believe that Jesus is the Savior that we've all been looking for. He's writing so that we come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is, God who has come in flesh and blood to give us life, to give us eternal life. Life lived in a personal relationship with God that starts now and goes on forever. I wonder, um, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Have you come to believe that Jesus is the one that he claimed to be, the one who has come from heaven to forgive our sins and to give us life? I, I wonder if you have done that. If you haven't, then the passage that we're about to read, uh, John has written this so that uh, you will put your faith in Jesus as your only hope for, the, for forgiveness in life. And my prayer and my hope is that if you haven't done that, that you would do that uh, today. So take your Bible, paper or digital, as we always say around here, paper is better, uh, and uh, find your way to John chapter 8. And let's begin by asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us in his word today. Holy Spirit, we pray and we ask that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what we are about to read and discuss. So when we leave this place, we will leave with a greater desire to follow Jesus in every area of our lives. And we pray this for the greater fame of Jesus. Amen. You know, sometimes we don't think about obvious things. I mean, obvious things are things that are uh, are a part of our, our daily lives, but they're so common we don't pay attention to them. And one of those things is light. Mm-hmm. So I bet you're thinking about light now. <laughs> yes, I see that light. Um, I want to talk about five obvious things uh, about light, and so if we can have the lights come up, we'll be good here to go. All right, so five obvious things about light that we don't always think about. Number one, light brings life. Light brings life. Now, every winter, uh, Karen and I store a bunch of our outside plants in the garage uh, to keep them from dying in the cold. And Karen has about 3,000 plants that we bring into the garage and it makes it look like an Amazon jungle. And those plants make it through the winter. I mean, some of them barely make it because even in the garage, it's not like you're out in, in bright sunlight. So we try to keep those lights, uh, those uh, plants alive by giving them enough light. Life brings life. Number two, light lights our way. Light lights our way. Uh, when you get in your car at night, the first thing you do is what? Turn on your headlights, headlights, and your headlights light your way. Thank you, Captain Obvious. 
Now, I mean, you don't think about it until your lights don't work, right? Number three, light calms our fears. Light calms our fears. How many of you, when you were kids, had to sleep with a light on? How many of you? Okay, more in this service. You know, I think there was like two people in the last service. But then I asked this question. How many of you as adults have to sleep with a light on? How many? Okay, now in the, in the first service, there were more adults that have to sleep with lights on than when they were kids. I, do, I don't get that. But if you're an adult and you have to sleep with the lights on, hey, look, this is no judgment zone and you're, you're good to go in here. But how many of you have ever been in a big city where, the, where at night the power went out and all the lights went out in a big city? A couple of you, yeah. All right, I mean, that's Scooby-Doo scary, right? I mean, yeah, when, when lights go out in the big city, crime goes up. I mean, it's not like everybody gets a candle and sits around reading their Bible. I mean, no, crime goes up, stores get broken into, muggings increase, uh, because when you can't be seen, your depraved nature tends to kick in and bad things can happen. And city leaders know that in downtown areas, adequate lighting is an effective line of defense against presenting, uh, preventing crime. So uh, light calms our fears. We feel safer in the light. Number four, light is symbolic of truth. Light is symbolic of truth. Sometimes we say, oh, the lights went on, meaning, oh, I figured something out. Or we, or we say, um, I saw the light, uh, like the old Hank Williams country gospel uh, song. Scripture says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, meaning God is perfect truth and goodness and purity. Number five, light brings health. Light brings health. I mean, in the dark, dreary days of winter, our bodies don't produce as much sunshine vitamin. And what's the sunshine vitamin? Vitamin, wow, you're so good. You're, well, this is, vitamin D, yeah. So the external world does affect our internal world. And researchers say that, that uh, our vitamin D3 levels go down in the winter and we need as much as 500% um, more during the winter months. And just so you know, I take 10,000 units of vitamin D3 every day, and so look at me. Uh, now, I, I could go on and on and on, but why am I telling you this? Because the truth is we need the light of Jesus deep in our souls just as much as we need the light of our sun for the bodies, for our bodies. Every place in the world is a dark place regardless of what the weather is like. The point is the whole world needs Jesus, the light of the world. The whole world needs Jesus, the light of the world, because Jesus is the light that brings life. He is the light that lights our way. He is the light that calms our fears. He is the light of God's truth. He is the light that brings health and healing and joy. And I left this out. He's the light that reveals what God is really like. So listen to how Jesus talks about this in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, this is an amazing claim, and so let me give you the context for it. Jesus makes this statement in the temple area in Jerusalem, and if you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that this is the time of the great Jewish feast called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this feast commemorates an event in the Old Testament when God's people were slaves in Egypt, opposed by a cruel Pharaoh, 
and through God's man, Moses, God delivered them, but they had to walk from Egypt to their new home in the promised land. So how would they know where that is? How would you know where to go? I mean, they didn't have a map. They didn't have a GPS, unless, of course, it was God's positioning system, which they had. So what God would do out in that desert wilderness, he would lead the children of Israel with a pillar of cloud by day, and at night he would send a huge pillar of fire that literally would go before them and would light their way and would stand guard at night. Here's an artist rendering of what that might have looked like in that day and time. And I, mean, I just can't even get my mind around what it would have been like to have been in one of those tents and walk outside at night and see that pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire like that. And so... So they followed the fire. They followed the light. So to follow the light was to follow the Lord. And so many years later, when they got to the promised land, they instituted a holiday, a feast, uh, as a memorial of that time in the wilderness when they were led by the pillar of fire, which was, of course, Yahweh, God of Israel. Now, all over Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the people would camp out and they would sleep in tents, they would call them booths, just like uh, they, were, they, they did when they were wandering in the wilderness. And they would gather at the temple. It's the, 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 the people of God, the people of God in the presence of God. And one of the things that would happen is, as a part of this festival, uh, as it was reaching its climax, they would bring out these large 75-foot golden candelabras and they would light them. Now think about this. Most of the people uh, at the feast lived in rural areas. And so except for the oil, a few oil lamps that would light their homes at night, they would pretty much live in pitch black darkness. So think of how awestruck they would have been with all of these candelabras lit up all around the temple. How many of you uh, as, as kids remember going to a candlelight service, a Christmas candlelight service. Okay, lots and lots of people. I remember the first one I ever attended, the year my family went home to Mount Airy, North Carolina. We went from Florida to, to Mount Airy, and uh, we attended the Christmas Eve candlelight service at the Moravian Church that my dad was raised in, and it was amazing. I mean, as a kid, getting to hold fire in your hand at church. I mean, there's not anything really any better than that. And, uh, and, and we're gonna have to do that one year here. I mean, we, I think we did it way, way back, and then some people here got worried because of insurance that we would burn the building down. But anyway, uh, you know, we're gonna do that again. We're just gonna have to trust God that some of you who like to play with fire won't burn the building down. But I remember that as a little kid thinking that the candlelight service was almost, was almost magical. It was like, and it was like that at the Feast of Tabernacles. They would light all of those candles and you could see them for miles around. The Mishnah was the collected recorded oral traditions of the Jews and the Mishnah's chapter on, uh, uh, about the light ceremonies states that you haven't seen true wonder until you've seen Jerusalem lit up at night. In fact, here's exactly how the Mishnah describes what was going on here. At the end of each festival day of the Festival of Tabernacles, the priests and the Levites went down to the women's courtyard, and there were golden candle holders there with four gold bowls on their tops and four ladders for each candlestick. 
and four young priests with jars of oil containing about nine and a half gallons of oil would climb the ladders, pour the oil into each bowl out of the worn out undergarments of the priest, they made the wicks. I'm not making this up. Don't want to think about that. And with them, they lit the candlesticks. There was not a courtyard in Jerusalem which was not lit up from the light. The pious men and wonder workers would dance around before them with flaming torches in their hands, and they would sing before them songs and praises. And the Levites, beyond counting, played on harps and cymbals and trumpets and other musical instruments, standing as they played on the 15 steps which go down from the Israelite court to the court of women, corresponding to the 15 songs of ascent which are in the book of Psalms, which is Psalm 130 to 120 to 130. Now, if we, could, if we had a drone that we could fly back in the day, it might look like this. The temple might look like this. And that's impressive, but I mean, if you've been to Times Square at New York, you know, it, it, this is not, maybe it's not as impressive as that. But again, to the people in that day and time, this is like, oh my goodness, we've never seen anything like this. The holy city, the holy temple lit up with lights, and it was, again, remember, it was a reminder of this, all right, the pillar of cloud. That's what they were celebrating. And, and now from John chapter 7, verse 37, we know that we're now on the eighth and final day of the feast. This is the last day, and as this is the festival of lights, and so this final day, Jesus steps forward <laughs> under the burning underwear of the priest, <laughs> and he shouts, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now in John chapter six, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. In John chapter seven, Jesus said, whoever thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And here in John eight, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These are all metaphors, symbolic ways of helping us understand who Jesus is and what Jesus can do for those who believe in him. And this one, I think, I am the light of the world tops tops them all. So I want to ask and answer three questions. Question number one, what exactly is Jesus saying when he claims to be the light of the world? Question number two, how do we enter into and live in his light? And number three, why is Jesus and Jesus alone the light of the world? Number one, question number one, what is Jesus saying when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, first of all, what he's saying is that this world is a dark place. This world is a dark place. We wouldn't need light if there wasn't darkness. Now, 40 years ago, I think it was back around 1980, there was a documentary on, in, on NBC, and it was on violence. And at the very end, they focused on the case study of a 13-year-old boy who had premeditatedly and cold-bloodedly killed a number of his classmates. And at the end of the documentary, the narrator set out this question. He said, if we do not discover what makes a human being capable of this, how can we hope to save our civilization? And that was 40 years ago. 
I mean, things are, are much worse today. Violence, much worse today. And, and what's amazing to me is why we're not more upset. Why we're not asking that same question today because from what I can tell, uh, society, culture has uh, one of two answers. One of them is, oh, we just need this political candidate or we just need this policy or this and we'll fix it all. Or the larger society deals with questions they can't answer by just shrugging them off and saying, oh, well, uh, the world is, is just really messed up, but, but, but it'll get better. Like, well, how? It, it'll get, it just will. It'll just get better. And that's what politicians are always promising, isn't it? So, so I mean, the, the question is, are things getting better? No, they're not. Now, the question the narrator was posing was, if we don't figure out what really makes us tick, how can we fix the human heart? And if we don't fix the human heart, then what hope is there? And the answer is, we're, there is no hope. There is no hope. Society is a lot like a guy stumbling around in the dark. You know what that's like, right? I mean, I mean, to be stumbling around, you're trying to feel uh, your way forward, but you're bumping into things and stubbing your toes. I, re- I remember one time when the kids, uh, when, when the girls were little and they, had to, they were in the same room and I heard something go bump in the night and I got concerned, so I, I, I got up and I didn't want to really turn on any lights. I figured I could make my way from our bedroom to their bedroom and so I'm feeling my way along the wall and I get to the door frame and I go, okay, well, I'm, I'm now in their room and so I, I go around and bam, right into the side wall. Almost busted my nose. I still got a little hitch in it. Vitamin D did not fix that. But, um, but, I, mean, but, but I just smacked right into, into the wall. It, now, our society is like that. I mean, we're trying to feel our way in the dark. And we think, give more money away. That'll remove the darkness. We, we think more education will remove the darkness. We think our political candidate will remove the darkness. They, and they all talk like they have the power to remove the darkness. But we keep smacking into one wall after another because the truth is there is no light in any of that because none of those things address the issue of the human heart. And it's not just society that's like that. We as individuals are like that. You, me, we, we're like that. We pursue things that we think will remove the darkness. And in those dark pursuits, we become disoriented and confused and morally compromised and lost. We're in the dark and we don't know what to do, and so we end up making decisions hoping to find the light. We think having more stuff will remove the darkness. We think that uh, achieving more status will, will remove the darkness. We think that getting our way will remove the darkness. No, no, the, the pursuit of all those kinds of things leave us in the dark emotionally and spiritually and morally and relationally, and when we smack into the walls and smash our noses or, or worse, we're not even sure what hit us or, 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 or what we hit. We don't, we don't even know. And Jesus says, do you know what your problem is? You need to turn on the light. And you go, I know I need to turn on the light, but I can't. I can't even find the wall with a switch. And Jesus says, that's right, but I can. Because he says, I can turn the light on for you because I am the light. I am the light. So what Jesus is saying is that this world is a dark place, totally, completely dark. It is morally dark. It is spiritually dark. It is religiously dark. It is relationally dark. 2,700 years ago, not 40 years ago, but 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said this, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness. We live in a world that calls darkness light. You say, well, we're enlightened people. No, you're not. You're in the dark. We live in a world where people tolerate and celebrate things that should be repented of. That's what darkness is. But the good news is Jesus came to bring light to a dark world. Hear me. Apart from Jesus' life, every single one of us is stumbling around in the dark. Isaiah, again, so, so wise, it's so relevant. Read this. We look for light, but all is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. And among the strong, we are like the dead. Things haven't changed much in 40 years. Things haven't changed much in 2,700 years. Now look, I'm not trying to depress you. I'm trying to get you to see the light. I want you to see the truth that's in Jesus, the truth that Jesus is asserting here. He's saying in no uncertain terms, unless I am your light, you walk in darkness. Jesus wants you to bring your darkness into his light. How do you do that? You just talk to him. You just tell him. You say to him, Jesus, here I, here's who I am. Jesus, here's what I've done. Jesus, here's what I've said. Jesus, here's what I've felt. Jesus, here's what I've desired. You bring it all out of the darkness into his light, and he will forgive you, and you will know him as the light of life. That sets up our second question. How do we live in the light? Well, what does Jesus say? He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. There it is. We live in the light as we follow Jesus. Pretty simple. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Let me give you three very practical things that following Jesus means. Number one, can I just be blunt? <laughs> I'm gonna be blunt whether you give me permission or not, okay? So number one, following Jesus means that Jesus is the leader and you are not. Following Jesus means he is the leader and you are not. Here's what I need you to know. You don't come to Jesus and you say to him, Oh, Jesus, I'm so glad to have you on the team, on part of my team, and, uh, and, and so here's what I'm doing, and here's what I'm planning, and so I'd appreciate it very much if you could just make all my dreams and plans come true. No, it, it, that's not how it works. No, Jesus doesn't follow you. Uh, Jesus, here's what I'm doing, here's my plan. Here's the script for my story. If you just read your lines, that'd be really good. That's not how it works. Jesus is the leader, you are the follower. Number two, following Jesus means walking with Jesus. In other words, figuring out how to take the next step with Jesus. Now let's back up. First of all, believing in Jesus is the starting line for following Jesus. Now he's gonna say that down in verse 24. Some of you, at some point in your life, you trusted Jesus as your savior, you became a Christian, you prayed a prayer, you put your faith in Jesus, but you haven't been following him. And you say, well, yeah, I know, but, but I believed in him way back when I believed in him and I'm, I'm okay, you know, <laughs> thanks for the grace of God, right? Yeah, 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 thanks. Thank God for grace. I, 
But let me, let me listen, if that's how you think, I believed in him, not following him, but grace covers us. If that's how you think, you're walking in darkness. You're walking in darkness. If you're not following Jesus, you are in the dark. Do you realize that? I'm not saying whether you're saved or not. I'm saying if you're not following him, you're walking in darkness. Look, Christianity is not just believing in Jesus, it's following Jesus. And following Jesus is relational. It's not religious. Following Jesus is doing life with Jesus. It's Jesus leading you and, and you following him step by step, moment by moment, day by day. And that means, listen, the key to your walk with God, the key to following Jesus is to figure out what your next step with him is. And to ask that question means you need to be listening uh, for Jesus' instruction as you read the Bible and read Scripture. It means talking to Jesus in prayer. Following Jesus means learning to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's promptings in your life. Now, personally, I ask a lot of questions in prayer. Then I wait for an answer, and then I watch for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Let me say that one more time. Following Jesus for me means I am asking lots of questions in prayer, then I wait for answers, and I watch for the Spirit's guidance. Let me ask you, are your prayers mostly about you telling God what you need him to do for you? Nothing inherently wrong in asking God to do things that you need him to do. I'm just saying, try asking God open-ended questions like, Jesus, what do you want me, what do you want me to do in this situation? What do you want me to say in this situation? Jesus, where are you working in the midst of all this? Jesus, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of all this? Ask more questions in prayer, wait for answers, and watch for the Spirit's guidance. Ask, wait, watch. That's how you figure out your next step in following Jesus. And sometimes a next step in following Jesus is forgiving somebody that's hurt you. Sometimes it's loving someone who's unlovable. Sometimes it's laying aside something or someone who is pulling you towards the darkness. Or your next step may be getting into a small group with other people who are serious about following Jesus so that you can encourage one another. Or finding a place to plug in and serve in the church or in some other uh, ministry outside the church. Or, or going on a mission trip and for help, uh, by the way, in taking a step like that, then you need to go by our next step table. <laughs> a table out in the commons, and, and there'll be some friendly people there that can help you get plugged into a group or uh, um, uh, find a place to serve or go on a mission trip or whatever. But you, you follow Jesus step by step. Believing in Jesus is, the, is step one. After that, all of life Starting line to finish line is simply taking a walk with Jesus, listening to him, learning from him, allowing him to lead in the relationship, submitting to him. Number three, following Jesus means that anyone and everyone is invited. He says, whoever follows me. He says, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus is not just a light for one nation, not just one ethnic group, not just one race. Jesus is the light of the world. Now, many religions teach that their God only cares about their group. Like God loves us, not them. God loves our race, not that race. God loves our culture, not that culture. God loves our kind, not their kind. Jesus is a global God. Jesus loves people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language. God made all people, and Jesus came to save all people, people from all people groups. He is the God of the whole world, not just one group. Now, interestingly enough, during the Feast of Tabernacles, sacrifices were made for the nations, 70 bulls representing the 70 nations of the world from Genesis 10, they, they had an offering for the nations. And Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. But somewhere along the line, they lost sight of their God-given mission, and they thought they were God's exclusive people to the exclusion of all other peoples. And so, and so this is a tremendous invitation. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever Anyone, everyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but they'll have the light of life. And it's amazing to me, we, you know, we live in a world where, there, where so many people say, well, we, all, we, just, we just need all, all, all people come together and, and, and we just need to come together and have unity, you know, like as in, come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Let's just really try to love one another right now, right now. Uh, and what they're all saying without even knowing it is that we all need Jesus. I mean, we need Jesus to be our one light. We, we, we need him to be the unifying center uh, that we rally around so that our unity revolves around our relationship with him so, so that the closer that we grow to him, the closer we become to one another. But our world is completely in the dark as, how to, as to how to bring people together because our world, for the most part, have rejected Jesus. So following Jesus means, number one, you submit to his leadership in your life. Number two, it means walking with him, figuring out what your next step is with him. And number three, it means that anyone and everyone is invited to follow him, and no one is excluded, and no one has an exclusive claim on him. Now, just to be clear, following Jesus is not about becoming a religious person, right? It's not about becoming a religious person. And that's what we see next in the very contentious debate that comes on the heels of Jesus making this outrageous claim that he's the light of the world. Follow along as I read verses 13 to 20. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. They're saying, just because you make these claims about yourself doesn't make those claims true. They're saying, they're not true. You're a liar. Verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going and you don't know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one of those people. I am the one that bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me is the second person. He bears witness to me. They said to him, where is your father? Jesus said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
These, and these are the words that he spoke in the treasury, which was in the women's court, as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, the first thing I want you to notice here is that the claim that Jesus made, this claim that he made about himself is very much like the claims that he made in chapters five and six. And since, the, since he's been making these claims, I'm the bread of life, I'm living water, all, all this kind of thing, the religious, there's been this running argument with the religious leaders as to who Jesus really is, where he came from, who's his daddy, what he's up to, and how he gets off making these outrageous claims about himself. And without teasing out every sentence here, this is what's happening. Jesus, the light of the world, is calling out the darkness of religion. Jesus, the light of the world, is going toe to toe with the darkness of religion. Now, you would think that religion would bring light into the darkness of this world, and that is the claim of many religions. They offer the invitation to you to become enlightened. Uh, right? I mean, come to our meeting, take our class, read our books, go through our process, and you will become an enlightened person. According to Jesus, that's not possible apart from him. Now, I know that's a bold claim, but it's his words, not mine. These devout, committed religious leaders are standing in front of the light of the world, and they're saying to Jesus, you have no right to make a claim like that for yourself. Religion steps forward and says, Jesus, you are the darkness. You are the problem. We are the solution. You are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. You are a liar. And Jesus says, what I claim for myself is true. And my Father in heaven, who you don't know, has put his stamp of approval on me. You see, Jesus comes to expose the darkness even in religion. Religion, what's religion? Religion is trying to gain God's favor by obeying religious rules and observing religious rituals. Religion is trying to gain God's favor by obeying religious rules and observing religious rituals. It is trying to gain God's favor by doing, being good and doing good, and that is just another form of darkness you see you see to follow Jesus is to walk in the light how do I know that because the light comes and the darkness opposes him in the name of religion and they're saying we represent God and we oppose you and Jesus says hmm that's what that's strange because I am God I am God so to oppose me is to oppose God you see religion will oppose God in the name of God what Jesus says and has been saying is this. I have come from above. I have come from God to tell you what the Father has told me to tell you. I am here to do the works that the Father has given me to do. I am here to show you what the Father is really like. So by opposing me, you are opposing the one who sent me and that proves you don't really know him. Strong words. Listen, if you want to start down a religious path, just assume that you're always right about everything. There's uh, just, if you want to start down a religious path, just, just start to believe that there's nothing really wrong about you or what you believe. Start believing that everyone else is the problem and that you are the solution 
and that whatever you say and do has the authority of God behind it. I mean, it's amazing to me that Jesus has already told us in John chapter 5, he says, the Father judges no one. He's entrusted all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus comes to bring light into darkness and to judge the world, and the religious leaders judge Jesus. That's how a religious spirit begins. So before you judge anyone else, judge yourself. And here's what I'll just tell you from personal experience. That'll take so much time that you won't have time to go around telling everybody else how they're right and wrong and judging them. So in verses 13 to 20, we see Jesus, the light of the world, shining his light into the darkness of religion. To walk in religion is to walk in darkness. To walk in religion is to oppose the light of the grace of God in Jesus. Mark it down. Following Jesus is not about becoming a religious person, and here's why. Verse 21. He said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, what is he going to do? Is he going to kill himself since he said where I'm going? You can't come. He said to them, you never get it. He said, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am. I am. The I am of the burning bush. The I am of the pillar of fire. Unless you believe that I am equal with the Father, divine as like the Father, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So why is following Jesus not about becoming a religious person? Verse 24, because religious people die in their sins. Irreligious people and religious people die in their sin. That's a, hard, that's a hard saying, but Jesus says it as clearly as it can be said. He says, those who reject me, those who oppose me, those who ignore me, those who lump me in and treat me like I'm like one of the many religious founders of the world will die in their sin. Unless you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God come in the flesh, you will die in your sin unless you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, my moral friend, my religious friend, my spiritual friend, my, but I'm a good person friend, you will die in your sin. Now listen, these are the words of Jesus, so they must be loving words. They must be loving words. He's not saying this in hate or uncontrolled anger. He's saying it in love. Because it is not his desire that any would perish, but that all would come to the light. Religion says, be a good person, do good things, and thank God he graves, grades on a curve so you'll be fine. Darkness. Culture says, oh, that's so sad that he passed away. He was a good person. He's in a better place now. Darkness. Jesus says, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. Now, by the way, the worst thing is not to die. The apostle Paul says, for the Christian to live is Christ, to die is gain. For the Christian, death is an upgrade. And that's amazing. So dying is not the worst thing. Dying in your sin is the worst thing. 
and you can die in your sins or you can die having your sins forgiven. That's the good news. You say, well, other religions say that there's no such thing as hell. Darkness, the, the culture says there's no hell. We took a vote. Darkness, Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you will die in your sins. And some of you are headed for eternal darkness where there is no second chance and there's no light. Look, Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in the whole Bible because he doesn't want you to end up there. You say, but I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there because they refuse to put their faith in Jesus. He doesn't say, unless you believe in me, God sends you to hell. He says, unless you believe in me, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. The whole reason Jesus came was to warn us of the danger and the darkness that we're in and to rescue us from the judgment and the wrath of God to come. Verse 25, so they said to him, who are you? Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what the Father has told me to tell you. But they didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Let me ask you, do you believe in Jesus? It all comes down to Jesus. You step out of darkness into light when you believe in Jesus. That's the starting line, and then you follow him to the finish line, and you walk in the light as he is in the light. And to step into the light, just tell Jesus you want out of the darkness. I know you're thinking, well, if I tell Jesus what I've done, what will he think? Listen, he already knows. Well, if I tell him about my secret thoughts, he knows your mind. Well, what if I tell him about those and I'm ashamed of this, these dark longings that I have in my heart. He sees your heart. He knows it all. He loves you anyway, and he wants you to be in a relationship with him, and he's committed to pursuing you even when you're not responding to him. Listen, I'm telling you, there's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody who loves like Jesus. There's nobody who forgives like Jesus. There's nobody who heals like Jesus. There's nobody who restores like Jesus. There's nobody who unburdens like Jesus. There's nobody like him. And some of you have been in horrible, horrible relationships. Some of you have had people walk with you and then walk away from you. And some of you have been abandoned and betrayed and used and abused even by the church or some, call, some so-called Christian leader. And Jesus says to you, come out of that darkness of your past and step into the light and I will walk with you. I'll give you a hug and we'll straighten things up and we'll walk away from all that together. And Jesus is pursuing you right now. He wants to live in you and he wants to walk with you and your darkness doesn't trouble him because he is the light, and light overcomes darkness. So do you believe in Jesus? But you ask, but why is Jesus and only Jesus 
the light that leads us out of darkness? That's a good question, that's question number three. And by the way, you've asked lots of good questions this morning, and uh, Jesus isn't put off by your questions, by the way. Here's why it's Jesus and only Jesus, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me, and He who sent me is with me, and He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Why is Jesus and Jesus alone the light of the world? Because He was lifted up. Now. What does that mean? Well, I'm quite sure that many people in the crowd that day, when they heard Jesus say, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am He, I'm sure some of the people thought He was saying, finally, ultimately, that I will be exalted. You will eventually exalt me as Messiah, King, and I will free you from the Romans and I will usher in the kingdom. And some of the people are hearing that phrase lifted up to exaltation and they're thinking, oh my goodness, finally Jesus is talking our language. But you and I know that this is veiled language. This is code language for the cross. Jesus is saying you will succeed in murdering me but it's through my death that I will be exalted. Through my death, you will know that I have come from the Father. He's saying the Father sent me to love you, to seek you, to forgive you, to unburden you, to save you, to heal you. He's saying you need me, I am the light of the world, you're in darkness, come to me and follow me and I'll walk with you. But I, first, I have to be lifted up. I have to die for your sins so you won't have to. I have to rise from the dead so you'll know that I can raise you from the dead. I have to ascend back back to the Father in heaven so that I can intercede for you. Veiled language, lifted up on the cross, lifted up out of the grave, lifted up back into heaven so we can have the light of life. It all comes down to Jesus. Your hope is not in religion. Your, your, Your religion is darkness. Your only hope is not from this world. Your hope is not from this world. Your only hope is from outside the world. Jesus has come into this world and he is the light of this world and he alone gives light that shines in the darkness. Wow, and this is the best part, verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. My hope, my prayer, my goal is that many would believe in him. So you're like, wait, wait, are you trying to convert me? Yes, I'm trying to convert you, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, so you want me to become a Christian? Yes, I want you to become a Christian, woo-hoo! I mean, there's no one like Jesus, there's nothing that compares to Jesus, there's nothing like him, it's all darkness. Some of you tried rebellion, that's darkness. Some of you tried religion, that's darkness. Some of you tried spirituality, that's darkness. Some of you tried alcohol and drugs and more stuff and more status and more sex, it's all darkness and you're desperately looking for something to turn on the light, but it's all darkness, and deep down, you know it. You know deep down that none of those things bring you the ultimate satisfaction that you've been looking for. The prophet Isaiah, one more time, put it this way. He said, let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. 
shivers. So I'm inviting you. I'm challenging you. I'm begging you right here, right now, believe in Jesus. Put your trust in the name of Jesus. Look, it's so simple. Jesus died for your sins so you wouldn't have to. He died to forgive all your sin. He was lifted up on that cross to take away your darkness, to take away the burden of guilt and shame that you've been carrying for so long. He's saying, lay it down at the cross. It's so simple. Look at it. As he said these things, many believed in him. No prayers, no coming to the front. As he spoke, as they listened to the truth that's in Jesus, they changed their mind about Jesus. They heard what he said, and in their hearts they said, Jesus, I get it. I believe in you. They turned from rejecting Jesus to receiving Jesus. They turned from ignoring Jesus to embracing Jesus. They turned from opposing Jesus to agreeing with Jesus. And I'm inviting you, and Jesus is inviting you, to be one of the many who believe in him as our only hope for forgiveness and life. Would you bow your head? How many of you would say this morning, for the first time, the light came on and you are now able to say, I believe in Jesus. The light came on today. There were lots of things you didn't understand. There were lots of things you didn't accept. But after hearing what Jesus has had to say today, how many of you can now say for the first time, I believe in Jesus? If that's you, would you slip your hand up so I can see it? Yes, welcome to the family, welcome to the family. Anyone else? You stepped out of darkness into light. It wasn't clear to you before, you didn't understand it before, maybe you don't understand everything. Certainly, none of us understand everything, but you understand enough to say, I'm taking Jesus at his word, I believe that he is who he claimed to be, and I want to follow him. Father God, thank you for those of, that uh, were bold and they, something happened. You, you drew people to yourself this morning. John says in another place, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And so thank you for those in all of the services that have put their faith and trust in you for the first time, and I pray that you would come alongside them, and Holy Spirit, that you would guide them to take one step after another. Thank you for this time and the word. Holy Spirit, let us not forget these words, but let these words be a motivation to live for Jesus who died for us. In his name we pray, amen. So very good. Very good.